uh, a governor of Judea. Matter of fact, um, I, th I thought it kind of interesting. Uh, looked up some things on Pontius Pilate. Very little about him. You can't find out much about him. Matter of fact, uh, probably what you read in the Bible is, is a lot of what we know about him. There's a few things. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that until 1961, people didn't even know he really existed. Matter of fact, many people mocked the Bible and said, <laughs> they put Pontius Pilate up there, he was a big deal, but yet we can't find anything about him. But in 1961, they found the Pilate stone. Had his inscription on there, Pontius Pilate, you know, a uh, uh, curator or whatever, a uh, perfect of, of uh, Judea, about the same title that's used in the Bible. And I find it interesting that our book, if you look, copyrighted 1961. I don't know whether they had found that stone by the time this was copyrighted or not. But today we know that Pontius Pilate was a real person. He did really live, and it's confirmed by archaeological evidence also. Uh, he actually served as prefect of Judah from 26 to 36 A.D. He served 10 years. Usually, uh, those people served in that position about three years. But he served in, uh, for 10 years in that position. Uh, when he was that in that position, he was granted the power of supreme judge, which meant he had the sole authority to order a criminal's execution. Doesn't that tell us why the Jews were after him to get Jesus crucified? He had that power. Only he had that power. He could condemn a criminal to execution. They couldn't do that. His duties also included such mundane tasks as tax collection, managing construction projects, but perhaps his most crucial responsibility was the maintaining of law and order. See, the Romans just wanted the taxes to keep coming in, but they also wanted law and order. They didn't want any mess going on. They didn't want people rioting. They didn't want... Now think about it. You think Pilate would have had a riot on his hands about this time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were mad. He knew they were mad. He knew they were upset. And he, being governor, said, I got to tamp this down. Somewhere or another, I got to keep control of this situation. If you read uh, some in Josephus and other places you'll find out there was other situations where he had made the Jews mad. Once he put up shields uh, that, that had the uh, image of the emperor on there. Boy, they didn't like that at all. They didn't believe in any images anywhere. They didn't like that. Okay, so there was other situations where he had already irritated them. Uh, finally, at the end of his reign, he, had, uh, he actually had killed some people uh, and actually got sent back to Rome, and we kind of lose track of him after that. We don't really know what happened to him. Some people say he committed suicide. Others say he went off and, and we just didn't hear from him. But, but he was called actually back, back to Rome and, and was, was kind of called on the carpet for having people killed, and uh, he, he, was, he was well known for that. But again, and I, I just you know, thought it was very interesting, uh, that was in 1961 in Caesarea, Maritime, an Italian archaeologist, Dr. Antonio Forva, uncovered a piece of limestone inscribed with Pontius Pilate's name in Latin, linking him to Tiberius' reign. So it's confirmed he was there. But think about what he was doing at this time. He was a political person. He was trying to tamp down what he saw as a rebellion at that time. He was trying to keep everything in order. He didn't want anything going on. Uh, 
he probably didn't care about Christ as any kind of religious leader at all. He didn't care about the Jews' religion that much. He was a Roman. He didn't, you know, care anything about their religion. So that, that was not his whole situation there. And notice what he tried to do. He tried to be neutral in this situation, didn't he? At the end, he said, I can't find anything wrong with him. I can't find any. He looks innocent to me. So I'm just going to wash my hands of it. Y'all going to handle it. But could he really wash his hands of it? He couldn't. Why? We just said he was the only one that had sole authority to condemn somebody to death. And that's what he did. He said, you see to it, but by Roman authority, they actually did it, didn't they? Uh, so you know, he, they, they got what they wanted through him and by using him. <clears throat> uh, now, let's get down to us today, though. That's what happened back then. Do we still have that same question today? For us, we do. What are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with Jesus? You know, it, it, we don't have much choice. We have to choose one or the other. Look at Matthew 10, 32 and 33. It says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also by my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. There's not but two choices, right? You're either going to believe who Jesus is, you're going to believe what he stood for, you're going to believe he was the son of God, you're going to obey him, and you're going to be accepted. He's going to come, or you're going to reject him. There's no middle ground. Matter of fact, um, if you look at uh, Matthew 12, 30, it says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Even Christ said that. You're either going to be with me or against me. We still have to make that choice today. So we better be careful when we do that. Now, what uh, everybody has to make their own decision. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Are you going to... Answer for somebody else? You going to answer for your family members? No, you're not. Going to answer for your husband or your wife or any other relatives that you... No. You're going to answer for you. When you stand before God, you're going to answer for what you've done in the body, whether it be good or bad. So we still have that choice to make. We have to hopefully choose the right thing. Um, <clears throat> look down at... Uh, Point four. Well, second of all, we've already talked about Pilate couldn't wash it, but look at point four. What shall I do then with Jesus? The first point there is he was the son of man. Yes, he was. He was a man. You know, we read that he emptied himself and he became flesh and blood. Of course, he was God incarnate. He was a dual nature being. He was both human and divine. But being human, that gives him a whole lot in common with us, doesn't he? He can understand what we go through in the human body where just being God could not experience that. But he, being incarnate in the flesh, could experience everything that we experience. Uh, Matthew 16, 17 says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
He's the son of man. And look at, uh, this one's not in your book, but look at 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now that emphasizes his human part, doesn't it? The man, Christ Jesus. Now, can you think of a better mediator between us and God? I can't. He's lived in the flesh. Do you want somebody that has experienced what you've experienced, that has gone through the things you've gone through, that has gone through all the problems and the trials and the tribulations and everything that humans face? Isn't that the person you'd want representing you before God? Yeah, I believe it is me. I want somebody that has experienced what I've experienced. You know, when you go through hardships and trials and life, and we all do, it helps a lot when somebody that has gone through those same things can even sit down and talk to you and relate to them. They can relate to you. They can help you through those things, sometimes just by talking and understanding and giving your spirits a lift, if you they can do that. Christ can do that for us with God. He can mediate between us and God. Uh, and look at point two. Christ is not only the son of man, but he's also a historic character. You don't have anybody. I don't know of anybody. Of course, now, I'm sure there's somebody. There always is. But it's an undisputable fact that Christ lived. He is a historical character. We have all sorts of, of historians that have written about him. So we know he lived. We know he died by crucifixion. And, of course, according to the Gospels, we know that he was raised from the dead. But it's awful interesting. I'm going to read this out. You've got it in your book. But I thought this was very interesting. And under point two, the words of the once powerful Napoleon. You know who Napoleon is, Okay. Listen to what he says about Jesus. But can you conceive of a dead man making conquest with an army faithful and entirely devoted to his memory? My armies have forgotten me even while living as the Carthaginian army forgot Hannibal. Such is our power. A single battle lost crushes us and the adversary scatters our friends. Can you conceive of Caesar as the eternal emperor of the Roman Senate and from the depths of his mausoleum governing the empire, watching over the destinies of Rome? Such is the history of the world by the invasion of Christianity. Such is the power of the God of the Christians. Nations pass away, thrones crumble, but the church remains. Christ speaks, and at once generations become his by stricter, closer ties than those of blood. He lights up the flames of a love which condemns self-love, which prevails over every other love. That's pretty profound. We know who Napoleon was. We know a great leader, a great military man, a great all sorts of conquests. But yet he recognizes that although Christ is dead, of course we know he's living and in heaven, but yet he recognizes the power that Christ still carries. The power that people that believe in Christ can go around the world. And notice, thrones crumble, things happen, but the church stands. 
Aren't we told that in Daniel? You know, the stone that, and it rose and it crushes everything else, right? Well, it does that. Christ has that power through His resurrection and through uh, the people that believe can conquer the world. Now, it can go into any nation. You know, we just uh, saw, a, 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 what was the guy that delivered the thing with Ukraine the other day? We have Christians all around the world, don't we? And, you, and you, of course, right now, hopefully, Ukraine will make it. But if they're not, it may fall, mind it. But yet the church will stand on it. The Ukrainian Christians will be there. They may be in Poland. They may be somewhere else. But they're going to stand, okay? And one of these days, we know Putin will be gone. And, but what will stand? The church that is in Russia, right? It'll be there. Those people will be there. Thrones and people and things go away. But the church is going to be there. I, I just thought that was a very profound statement by Napoleon. Okay, another important part. Turn the page. There is uh, Christ as a teacher. Perfect. Who is still known as the greatest teacher that ever lived? Christ. He's still known as the greatest teacher that ever lived. Why? Well, look down. He gives you some examples. First of all, Christ used all methods of teaching. He used illustrations. He uh, uh, references John 15, 1 through 6. That's the vine and the branches. You remember that? Christ taught in uh, illustrations. He also taught uh, in questions. Can you add a cubit to your height? Well, that was in Matthew 6, 27. He also taught by conversation, by having a, a conversation with somebody. In uh, John 4, that's the woman at the well. He talked with her a long time, didn't he? And taught her as he talked with her. And then uh, he mentions uh, Luke 13, 3 through 5, as far as repetition goes, he repeats, unless you repent, you'll perish. Unless you repent, you'll perish. So he used all forms of, of, of educational philosophy, if you will, uh, and we use that today, don't we? We still use all those things today. Uh, <clears throat> point four, Look at, turn to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. We know what's going on here, Sermon on the Mount. And, but what's, uh, and this is talking about his moral teaching. When he was talking to the Jews at this time, uh, start in verse uh, 38. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You still hear people say that today, don't you? That's how they live back in. You hurt somebody, they're going to hurt you in the same way. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now they hadn't heard that before. You want me to be nice to somebody and let them injure me and hurt me? He's raising the standard, isn't he? He had another kind of moral teaching that they had not heard if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whoso shall compel thee to go a mile, of course, no, this is talking about the Romans, they could do that. Go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee and turn him, uh, and from him that will borrow of thee, turn thou not away. You have heard it been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. They had never heard that kind of teaching before. Never heard that. Totally 
higher moral plane of teaching. Now, it's still like that today, isn't it? This is still in direct contrast to how people of the world live, is it not? People of the world, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Christ said, don't live that way. Okay? Don't be that way. Yes? Go ahead. I'm sorry, Sam, I'm having a hard time hearing you. That's right. That's totally opposite to what the world thinks. It? I mean, you think about his teachings, it's like that. You know, this is a much, much higher plane than what people were used to at that time. And it still is today. It hadn't gone away at all. The, the, the moral plane is still there. And the way, <laughs> it's funny, the way the world looks at things is still the same way too, isn't it? You know, it's funny, you know, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Man is still the same. You know, that's why the Bible and Christ's teachings are always going to be re relevant because mankind doesn't change. You know, we may change all the outward trappings. We may have some nice buildings, some air conditioning, but the inward part of man and how we react to one another and how we react to situations, that doesn't change. And Christ teaches us, I want you to react this way. Not the way you're feeling, maybe, at the time, because, you know, feelings change, don't they? You can feel one way today and a totally different way tomorrow. He doesn't want you to react by your feelings. He wants you to react by what he's teaching and go by this moral standard and not by just your feelings that you have. Any other questions or comments before we go on here? All right, look at <coughs> point five. Point five is... He was the son of God. Remember we mentioned earlier he was a, a dual nature being. He was the son of man, but he was also the son of God, the only begotten son of God. Look at Matthew. Uh, well, of course, Matthew 1, 18, 25 tells of his birth. Uh, and then you've got John 1, 1 through 5. Look at John 1. Tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, and his name was John, gets into John the Baptist then. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's talk about Christ. So he's God on earth. Now, uh, Brother Sam taught Lesson 9 the other day. Uh, if you look back at Lesson 9, I, I'm going to revisit just a little bit of this, just to show you that he was the Son of God. Uh, I'm going to go back to page uh, 58. It gives you a list of things he could do. He did miracles. Evidence he was supernatural. He had power over nature. He had authority over disease. He had power over death. And a couple of things that are not in this book. He also accepted worship while he was here on earth. Ever thought about that? As a man, he accepted worship. We know you only worship God. Christ tells us that. But he accepted worship on many occasions while he was here on earth. And the one thing that really set the Jews off, he let them know he could forgive sins. 
while he was here on earth. Remember the story of the man being let down through the roof? What really set him off was he said, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Boy. They said, what in the world? Only God can forgive sins. They got it. Okay? They understood what he was doing because that was his point. I am God. I can forgive sins. And they got it. Said only, and of course it made the Jews very mad at that time because they were not accepting Christ as the Messiah, as God. But he let them know, I can forgive sins on earth. Yes, and only God can do that. I realize that. So that was some interesting things I, I thought. that uh, was in that lesson pointing out that Christ was God on earth, a dual nature being. Questions, comments so far? All right. Now, let's go down uh, to point five. And it, he makes the point here that people have answered this question in many different ways. Of course, we just read how the mob answered in uh, Matthew 27, 22, let him be crucified. That's what they wanted done. Pilate's answer, he wanted to be neutral. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. As we pointed out, you can't be neutral. The soldiers, they reacted by mocking him, didn't they? When they took him, they mocked him. They mocked who he was. They mocked him as a human being. Christ doesn't want uh, anything like that done. Of course, he, he says uh, today, when you treat people in nice ways, it's like treating him in nice ways. If you look at... Uh, uh, Matthew 25, 35 through 40, that's what he says. You know, if you give somebody a cup of water, it's like giving me a cup of water. So he, he wants us to treat everybody uh, in a nice way. Now look at point four. False witnesses. At Christ's trial, they really couldn't find anybody saying anything about it. But they finally got some false witnesses. Some people that would witness against him and witness, of course, they talk about tearing, tearing down the temple and building it back in three days. He wasn't talking about that. But they got some people to say that, and they uh, were going to, uh, they got him convicted because of that. But the thing is, false witnesses for Christ can be very dangerous. Look at Matthew 7 15. Matthew 7 15. It says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Do we have false prophets among us today? Yeah, we do. We've got people, you know, saying things about Christ that aren't true. We've got people denying Christ. Uh, look at 2 Peter uh, 2, 1 and 3. 1 through 3. 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privilege or bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring them to themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. And though covetous, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now for a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So do we need to be aware of false prophets today? Yeah, for two reasons. First of all, they're going to do it, many of them for money. We're going to get into that a little later on. And secondly, they'll lead people to think they're following Christ, but they're not. There are many people out there that think they're doing God's will because somebody has uh, twisted the Word of God and has not 
either twisted it or not fully proclaimed it. And people believe they're doing God's will, but they're not doing God's will. And they'll be lost eternally for that. So we need to be, of course, aware of false prophets. And, of course, we study and we apply or we test what they say by reading the Word of God and making sure they're teaching the truth. And if they're not, we don't follow that. We only follow what's in God's Word. Questions, comments again before we go on? Need to be careful, don't we? Well, look at the mob that said, let him be crucified. We kind of can crucify him afresh today. He makes that point, doesn't he? How do we do that? When we don't obey, when we sin, right? We can be crucifying Christ afresh by not following his will. Okay. We find that a lot today, don't we? Just, I don't want, I don't want to deal with that. I'll just live my life where I want to live it. I don't have to live by any certain standard, especially that standard Christ set. That's way too high for what I want to do. So I'm just going to live the way I want to live. That's one thing that God says is going to burn in hell, right? Liars. And false witnesses are liars. They're not telling the truth. So you know, God does not like that at all. Any others? All right. That's right. And we die eternally, don't we? They just died a physical death. And old law, they didn't even have salvation under that law. They were looking for Christ for that. So we, even, we have salvation today. And we, and we deny that, then yes, we're going to be lost eternally. All right, any others? All right, look at the top of the next page. Talks about Peter. He said, I don't know the man. You can deny Christ. He said, I don't, I don't even know him. I don't want to know him. Don't know him. Can we deny Christ today? Oh, yeah. We deny Christ all the time. Well, how do we do it? Well, how about the places we go? The people we hang around. The things that we do. The way we talk. Maybe uh, the things we, and, and you know, I hate, I'm probably not the most qualified one to say this because I don't even get on social media. I know people do. 
What about the things you like on social media? You see somebody out there doing all sorts of sinful things, and you say, well, that's cool. You like that? Well, that puts you in that category, doesn't it? If you're going to like that, that's kind of like hanging around those people the same way, isn't it? So we need to be careful about the things that we do, the things that we say, the you know, joining in on the lewd jokes and the bad language and all those kinds of things. And what if we fail to let our light shine? What if we just say, well, I'm not going to uh, do anything, but I'm just not going to, I'm just going to hang in the back. I'm not going to let my light shine at all. Well, that's the same thing, isn't it? You could deny Christ. Doing a lot of things besides just what Peter did. Just outright denial. You can deny it by your actions, can't you? In what you do and say. Look at number six. Judas answered with a kiss of betrayal. We know what Judas did. He did it for money, right? Some people follow Christ for money today. And that's all they want. We have people, you know, I've heard it sometimes called the gospel of prosperity. They, they preach that all the time. You know, you do this and you do that, your God's going to bless you with this money and that money. And, that. and a lot of times it's send me a check. You know, and we'll be sure that happens. Well, a lot of people... Follow Christ for money today. We've got to be careful of that. Look at number seven, Felix. He's the great procrastinator, right? Go, go your way. I'll call you again when I, when I want to hear this. Do we procrastinate today? Can we put off Christ today and say, well, I'll follow him another day? We procrastinate all the time, don't we? Uh, I like to procrastinate on my diet. I don't like to do that. Got some work I don't want to do? I can put that off another day, you know. Uh, I got to study for a test if I'm in school, but I got other stuff I want to do. Human beings are good at procrastination. We got to be careful and be sure we're not procrastinating about Christ. Look at Paul, of course, is the example we want to be. Paul said, but what things uh, were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, Philippians 3, 7. Then he said, In nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And then look at 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 reads like this. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them that love his appearing. Should that not be our goal? To end our life like Paul ended his life? I'm ready to be, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I've done the best I can do. I've done what Christ wanted me to do. I'm ready to go. That should be our goal. And then look at point six. I think this is, kind of brings it all home. Today, we decide what we should do with Jesus. As he knocks, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. At this time, Christ is knocking at the door. We have the option to open it and to let him in. But it's going to be flipped at the judgment. Look at number two. Someday, however, we will stand before Christ in heaven's gate knocking for admission. He then will decide what to do with us. 
Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the glory of angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them one from the other, the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto him, On the right hand come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer unto him, saying, Lord, when shall we, when saw with thee a hungry, and fed thee a thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. That's where we want to be. We want Christ to accept us at the day of judgment. We need to accept him now. All right. Thank you all.